Philippians chapter 4. Let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. Lord, just for everything you've done in our lives, Lord. Thank you for this incredible book, Lord, that you've given us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your blessings that, that you've given us through your servant, Paul the Apostle. Lord, for using him, Lord, in a mighty way, Lord, and Lord, just uh, the wisdom you gave him, the, the words that you've given him, and that just been really, really been able to minister to us, Lord. We're so thankful for that, Father. We're thankful for your mercy, your grace, your love in our lives, Father. And may we find our strength in you. May we find our joy in you, Lord, uh, today. And, um, and if there's anybody in here today, Lord, that is struggling, Lord, may you just minister to them tonight. May you touch their hearts, Father. Lord, may you just speak loud and clear, and may your word just go forth with power tonight. Lord, there is power, Lord, in your word. And Lord, we just ask and we petition your power to restore, your power to save, Lord, your power to heal, Lord, your, 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 Lord just the, the power that comes from your peace. We desire that here tonight. Dwell with us right now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 4. The title of this message is Finishing Well. Uh, if, and if you haven't noticed, you know, we as Christians, we are in a spiritual race. Uh, Paul always references uh, as an athlete. Um, he's, he does a lot of referencing as an athlete. Uh, he talks about the spiritual race that uh, we are in. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, God desires for us to finish this race that we're in, to finish it well. That is truly his desire, and that is Paul's desire here for the Philippians, as we're going to see, is his desire is to finish your race well. There's a lot of worries in life. There's a lot of doubting. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of fear that the enemy brings into our lives. There's a lot of discouragement. But we have this race that we need to run, and we must endure in this race. So as Christians, we have a spiritual race. 2 Timothy 4, 5, 8 through, set, uh, 5 through 8 says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and at the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me in the uh, laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, that's Paul saying that. And, and he references this race that we're running. And we don't know the day of our departure. We don't know when our last day is going to be. But until then, we have to run with endurance. We need to keep this faith. We need to press on. And notice Paul, he shows that concern here to the church of Philippians. We're going we're gonna to see. Uh, th so th this church, the, the church of Philippi, they began their race well. And uh, Paul received so much joy from the, the, the fruit that came out of, of, of the work they were doing. Uh, you know, they, were, they, they started the race well, but he was really concerned with how they were going to finish. And, and personally, that's my concern too. For, for you guys, for my family, for me, is yes, we can start well, but what matters is how you finish. How are you going to finish your race? Are you going to finish well? Or are you going to fail? You know, there's a saying, don't start what you can't finish. But um, I, my desire is for you guys to finish your race well. And that's why I, I, uh, I want to be able to teach the truth so you guys can begin to grow and you know what to expect, and you, you, you have this vigilance in you. Uh, so when the enemy does attack, you know exactly what to do, what to expect, where to look to. So uh, in this last chapter, Paul urges the church to finish well. And we're going to see two structures in this last chapter. First, in verses 1 through 9, Paul talks about our endurance. There is this endurance that we need. And uh, Paul's going to show us six different areas in which we need to stand firm and endure. And in, in the second structure, uh, verses 10 through 23, Paul gives us an exaltation. 
meaning uh, to rejoice greatly. He rejoices greatly in something. And um, so our endurance and our exaltation, two different structures. So first we come to verses one through nine. Paul shows us the endurance that we need to stand firm in the Lord. Notice verse one. It says, therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Notice how, you know, he, he continues to show his love towards the church of Philippi. Notice the word beloved. In the original text, it's called, dear, it means dearly loved. It's, a, it, it's a, a, a term of endearment, dearly loved. He truly loved this church. And notice the word long for brethren. Long for in the Greek, it means a deep pain of separation. He had a deep pain of separation from this church when he was uh, 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 in prison in Rome. So he dearly loved them and he experienced a deep pain of separation and he continues to show us this deep love that he had for the church of Philippi. And, and notice right after what he says, he goes to say, my joy and crown. Notice, my joy and crown. This is just such an incredible way to exhort someone. The way he exhorted them, my joy and crown. The fact is that this church, the Philippians, they brought, they brought Paul so much joy because he knew they would be his reward at the judgment seat of Christ. My joy and my crown. They would be his crown at the judgment seat of Christ. What an exhortment. And this is why Paul is so greatly concerned in their walk. Notice, he is so greatly concerned with, in their walk with the Lord because he had such a desire for them to finish this race well. He had a desire that they finish well. That is my desire as well for you guys, for me, for my family is to finish. And since they brought Paul so much joy, notice, because they brought Paul so much joy, if they would fail, what would that do to Paul? It would devastate him because they brought him so much joy that if they were to fail, it would overwhelm Paul with so much sorrow. The greater the joy you have in people, the greater the sorrow in when they fail. And Paul did not want to see that with this church. He did not want to see them fail. He wanted to see them finish their race well. Therefore, he exhorted them, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. And I just want to exhort you with that same thing right now. Stand fast in the Lord. Because notice, I'm responsible for you guys when I've been given this ministry. Whoever I'm teaching to, whoever you're teaching to, whoever the Lord brings in your life, that divine appointment, you become responsible for that person. I'm responsible to teach you guys, and I'm going to do that with fear and trembling. If you remember our last study, do that with fear and trembling because I'm going to be held accountable for your guys' growth. You will be held accountable for whoever the Lord brings into your life, that divine appointment. You will be held accountable for that person. Did you lead them to the Lord? Did you share the truth or did you compromise? And notice, I will also be rewarded for your guys' success. You guys are my crown. Whoever the Lord brings in your life to pour into, they become your reward because you've, as you begin to die to yourself, you begin to worry more about those around you. You begin to have a burden for the souls of man. And I, my burden is to teach you guys to grow because in, in the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema seat of Christ, we will put our works into the fire and our rewards will come out and I want that crown. I'm not, I'm not just doing this, you know, for the crown, like, I truly care about you guys. I truly want you guys to know the truth. And I will not compromise. I will not compromise on that. I want that crown no matter the suffering, no matter the consequences. 
So notice first in verses two through three, we're going to see the first one. It says, stand firm in unity. Notice verse two, I implore Judea and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Verse three, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what do we see? Apparently these two women, Judea and, and, and Syntyche, were the source of some sort of quarrel, some sort of division in the church, as, 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 if, as I've mentioned before. These, these two women were arguing amongst each other about something. And, and notice Paul instead of taking sides, instead of, all right, tell me your story, tell me yours, who, what's going on. Instead of taking sides and trying to solve this problem, notice what he, he simply uh, says. He told them, be of the same mind. Does it matter what you're arguing about? That's not what matters. That's not what matters as Christians, what we argue about. Be of the same mind. Why? Because we're all written, our names are all written in the book of life. Be of the same mind. This is the same phrase that Paul used in chapter uh, 2, verse 5, when he says, have this, mind, uh, uh, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind, be of the same mind in the Lord. It is the same phrase and whatever the dispute was between these two, we don't know. We don't know what it was, but these two women, these two women had forgotten that common ground. Notice the common ground that they had in Christ. There is a common ground. They forgot that everything else was less important. They forgot that everything else did not matter less important than that common ground that we have as Christians. And so many Christians forget about that common ground. They forget about it. They allow their pride to get in the way and they begin disputing amongst each other. They begin arguing among, amongst each other, causing division amongst each other. And we need to realize that in the end, guys, notice all our names as believers are written in the book of life. Therefore, we should all rest on this common ground. Rest on this common ground, and we need to work towards unity. I kind of help oversee the, uh, the um, baby dedication ministry. And I remember coming across a lady who asked me, uh, I want to baptize my child. I'm like, oh, yeah, we have baby dedication, but we don't do baby baptisms. And she argued with me. She said, what do you mean you don't do baby? You're a Christian, right? I was like, yeah, but it's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. We don't, we don't do uh, baby baptisms because they're, they're not old enough to understand what is happening. Being baptized, you need to understand what is happening in order for it to mean anything, right? And she, was, she just kept arguing. She was like, no, well, look at this scripture. And I was like, that's out of context. We were just going back and forth, and I was getting upset. I was like, listen, and so I remember the Lord just said, hey, it's crazy. The Lord said common ground. And I was like, and I was like, okay, okay, listen, do you love Christ? Do you love the Lord? Do you love Jesus as your Lord and Savior? She's like, absolutely. So do I. What does it matter? If you're arguing with someone about something biblical, do you love Christ? I love Christ. That is all that matters, the common ground. And it was, uh, as it's, it's incredible when I thought about that, and I came across this, I was like, I've heard that phrase, common ground. When I was arguing with that lady, the Lord, the Lord just revealed that to me. And common ground, we're not here to dispute amongst each other, or argue with each other. Just know that your name's written in the book of life, my name's written in the book of life. I don't know about you, but mine is. I'm just kidding. We're all names, our names. If you love Christ and you are here today and you believe that Christ is your Lord and Savior and, and, and you love him and you, you, you begin to obey his commands, your name is written in the book of life. That's our common ground. 
What does it matter, our opinion, right? That's why we need to stay in the word, be educated in the word. Not to argue, we can defend it, but hey, we love Christ. It's all that matters. Second, notice, we must stand firm in rejoicing. Stand firm in rejoicing. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Notice the remedy that Paul gives us here for preventing and curing division. Notice this. And you know, it's funny because I'm kind of glad that Paul doesn't tell us the dispute between these women or the the disagreement that was going on. As much as I care to know in in the gossip, like to know, hey, what are they arguing about? We all love that, don't we? But you know what? I'm kind of thankful for the ignorance of that information here. Because notice, all that mattered to Paul was the cure, the solution for this disagreement. Notice the solution is simple. Paul follows the disagreement with rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. Because why? Because, you know, people who are joyful, if you have joy in your life, if you have joy in the Lord, you are prone to being offensive to people. You are prone to taking offense. If you have joy in the Lord and you're constantly rejoicing, who cares if someone offends you, right? Because your joy is in the Lord. It's not in the the nice things that people say to us. And then because your joy is in the Lord, you're not going to offend someone because that is against the Lord. Rejoice. If you're experiencing difficulty or if you're you're a quarrel or something or some kind of division, the solution is simple. Rejoice in the Lord because a joyful, a joyful, that joyful spiritual mind is, is too occupied on the things of God. A spiritual mind is too occupied on the things of God to be what? To be affected by the things of this world. When your mind is constantly on the things of God, you don't care about the things of this world because your mind's set on eternity. That's where the treasure is. That's where I find my joy is in eternity. Who cares about temporary? The joy of the Lord. They're not easily distracted. We're not easily distracted by little troubles that, that naturally arise from such imperfect creatures that we are. We're not troubled by that if you have joy in the Lord. Because why the joy of the Lord is our strength. In the book of Job, Job says, The joy of the Lord is my strength, and it is the cure to all disorder. The joy of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon quoted, What a gracious God we serve, who makes delight to be a duty, and who commands us to rejoice. Should we not at once be obedient to such command as this? God wants us to have joy and rejoice in him. I love to have joy. That is a, he commands us to rejoice. He commands us to have joy. So be it. You don't have to ask me twice. I will rejoice. I love the feeling of joy. So notice third, we must stand firm in gentleness, being gentle. Verse 5 Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Notice that word gentleness. Paul uses an interesting word for the gentleness gentleness he uh, uh, pronounced here in this verse. It's pronounced epikis in the Greek. And this word means being kind and forbearing. A person willing to yield their rights. A person willing to yield their rights. The unwillingness to litigate or contend. A person willing to yield their rights. What does that sound like? A servant. Sounds like being a servant. A bond servant. You're 
willing to yield your rights. And this word here, it, it describes the heart of a Christian. A, the heart of a Christian who lets the Lord fight their battles. That is what that word describes. He knows that vengeance is mine, say is the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Romans 12, 9. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and gentleness is what we need to show. Because if you defend yourself, guess what? God can defend you. Why? Because he lets you defend yourself. When we defend ourselves, what happens? Quarreling, argument, we don't, you know, it's, it, it becomes a mess. Let the Lord defend you. Just be gentle, gentleness. And this describes a Christian who is truly free to let, let go of their anxiety, their, the things that causes them to stress. As we'll see earlier, uh, later on, be anxious for nothing. When you're gentle, you let go of all that. Your anxiety, the troubles. Why? Because you, you truly know, what does he say? The Lord is at hand. If you're gentle, it's because you know that the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? It means that we live in the awareness that Christ is with us and that he's going to return soon. You live with that awareness. Having this awareness is going to make it easier for you to rejoice in the Lord. When you have this awareness that the Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord is he with you, the Lord's going to return soon. And, and because we know that one day Jesus is going to return, we know that he will settle every wrong. He will settle every wrong that is done towards us as Christians. We can also trust him to work all things out this very moment because he is present the lord is at hand he is present with us here in this very room so we can trust that he's working all things out in a in in a if in a world that is falling apart in a world where it, a chaotic world so much disorder that we see in our nation today we can trust that the lord is using that for good he is working all things out James 5, 9 tells us, don't grumble against each other. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against each other. Why? The judge is standing at the door. He is ready to intercede on your behalf. And if he returns and he catches you grumbling and with each other, how can he intercede in that when you're, you're both in the wrong Two, two wrongs don't make a right. Fourth, in verse six through seven, we see we must stand firm in prayer. Verse six, be anxious for nothing. Notice, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice the meaning for anxious. In the Greek, it is defined as to pull in every direction, to worry. And in the Old English, it means to choke. To choke. Like the dodge, I'm just kidding. To choke. It means to worry, to choke. Anxious, to worry. What does Jesus tell us about worrying? What does he tell us? If you have your Bible, turn really quick to Matthew 6, 25. I want to read that with you about worrying. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will, not much more, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is what he says about worrying. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So why do you worry so much? Why do we worry so much? Has Christ not promised? Has Christ not promised that he will provide every need? Has he not said in his word, and does his word not mean anything to you? Has he not promised? Is he not on the throne? God's on the throne. Did he not create the heavens and the earth? Can he not give you bread to eat? Can he not clothe you? Are you not more valuable than the ravens and the, the birds of the air, than the lilies of the field? Are you not more valuable than that? He gave his only begotten son. He paid a, a huge price for you guys. We will never understand. So why do we worry? I love what Billy Graham said. Worry won't rob tomorrow of its troubles, but it will rob today of its peace. Worry will not rob, the troubles will still be there, but it will rob your peace. I love what Corey Ten, Ten Boom said. Worry is like a rocking chair. You do a lot, but you don't get anywhere. You do a lot of work by worrying, but where does that, how does that add to you? to the solution by worrying. So instead of worrying, that gets us, what, nowhere? What are we called to do? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice, in everything we must pray. This speaks of general prayer. General prayer as you pray throughout the day. Notice, in everything, we must pray with supplication. Supplication means a pleading prayer. A pleading prayer. And in everything, we must make our requests known to God, meaning your request, a specific prayer. Your general praying, your pleading praying, and your specific prayers. Make them known to God. Notice all this should be done with what? A thankful heart. A thankful heart. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice the will of God for your life. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. The will of God. Rejoice, pray, write that down. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. The will of God, this is what God desires of your life. Because if you do this, notice this is going to guard your heart from worrying and complaining. It will guard your minds, your heart from a worrying or complaining spirit. When you rejoice, when you pray, when you give thanks. We can truly, guys, we can truly be anxious for nothing, but you, and you, you can truly pray about everything. The smallest things, pray about it. Lord, thank you that you, you answered the prayer. Thank you that you didn't answer the prayer. Lord, I love you. That's all that matters, right? Be thankful for everything. You have breath. When have you missed a meal? I know I haven't missed many. When have you missed a meal? When have you ever been in the streets naked, without clothes, without a home? 
be thankful for everything. We can truly do all these things in Christ who strengthen us, as we'll see later in this passage. And this is the way to do it. Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. So if we are not worried or complaining, then what happens? Notice verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice so many times we say that we don't understand why this happened or why these things are happening, right? We've all said it. Why is this happening? Why does God allow this? Why, why do good things or to, do bad things happen to good people? Why, Lord, why? Why this? Why that? We don't understand, right? So we ask, why, Lord? That's okay because notice we have something much more valuable than understanding and it surpasses it all. It surpasses all that understanding. That is the peace of God. The peace of God. You don't understand, so what? We have the peace of God. That is our understanding. The peace of God that Paul's talking about here is beyond all mind. That is beyond our power of thinking. It is beyond our power of thinking. The peace of God surpasses the power of our minds. Meaning if God tried to explain what he was doing, we still wouldn't understand. We still wouldn't understand. If he tried to explain what he was doing, we would not understand. Because why? Because our minds don't have the capacity to think as an infinite mind. We don't have that capacity. To, so w- w- what does it matter? We have the peace of God. We, we're not called to understand, guys, as Christians. You're not called to understand it all. We are called to trust and have faith. Therefore, God gives us his peace. He gives us his peace. Our finite minds can trust and find peace in an infinite mind, the mind of God. We can have peace in that. You don't have to understand. We don't need to understand. I love what Charles Spurgeon quoted. What is God's peace? It is the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, the eternal composure of the absolute well-contended God. Wow. It's only the peace that comes from God that will guard our hearts and our minds. I'm sure we've all come across a person who seemed like they've lost their mind, right? I'm sure we've all seen that a person who seems like they've lost their mind. Um, Notice when people seem to lose their minds, it's usually connected, obviously, to the absence of the peace of God. The absence of the peace of God. You don't have that absence. You have the peace of God in your life. Fifth, notice, we must stand firm in thinking Stand firm in the way you think. Paul gives us the things that we should fill our minds with. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Notice Paul tells us to program our minds with thoughts that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, commendable, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Because it is what we put our minds, this is what we put into our minds that de- the, that's going to determine what comes out in our words and in our actions. Whatever you feed your mind, that's what's going to come out of your mouth and your actions. And you examine your mind today. 
Examine your mind this very moment. What are you putting into your mind through television, through music, through movies, through social media? What are you feeding your mind? What are you putting into it? What are you meditating on? The word meditate means to constantly think about. What are you constantly thinking about? Perversions or trash of this world? Or are you thinking of the things of God? What are you constantly thinking about? Because you see, if you are struggling with an addiction, you are struggling with a stronghold in your, in your life, what must you do? Stop thinking about it. Replace those, th- those thoughts with the word of God. Replace those thoughts with God's word. And, and you know what? I'm tired of hearing when people say it's too hard to stop. It's so hard. Yes, it's hard. But is it hard because you can't stop or because you don't want to stop? Why is it hard? It's usually because you don't want to. You know Why? And I can stand here today and tell you it's possible whatever addiction you're in today, drugs, pornography, alcohol, whatever addiction, it can, you can break free of that. You have to want to and feed your mind with the things of God. Replace wrong input with right input. That is through the reading of God's word. That is through praying always. You will have victory. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, your mind is fed a lot of perversion, a lot of abominations that this world commits. It's fed a lot of it. So you need to renew your mind. And notice here, Paul He starts with the mind. Because why? Right thinking. If you think right, it'll lead to right living. So notice next, number six. We must stand firm in living. If we stand firm in thinking, you will stand firm in the way you live. Verse nine. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice James 1.22, it says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. Notice here, Paul presents himself as the example to follow again. Paul, in our last study in chapter 3, verse 17, he said, brethren, join in following my example. Why could Paul say this And why could we trust in following his example? Because the things that we, notice, the things which we learned and received came from Paul's instructions. And notice the things that we've heard and saw, Paul not only taught them to us, he lived them by example. Heard and saw, learned and received, he taught us, heard and saw, he lived it by example. Therefore, because Paul was a doer of God's word, he can boldly say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I don't know if I can say that. I'm just kidding. But we are to imitate each other. Why? Because we're Christians and we are doers of God's word. If we love God, we obey his command. Therefore, we hold each other accountable. Hold each other accountable. If we do these things that Paul has instructed us, notice this time Paul says the God of peace will be with us. Verses 7, the peace of God will be with, with us. He says the God of peace will be with us. So not only will we have the peace of God with us, but the Prince of Peace himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, will be with us to the end of the age. Who is the God of peace? Who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus. And he says he will be with us. So notice next, verse 10 through 23, we will see uh, uh, in Paul's end of the book an an exaltation, meaning to rejoice uh, greatly. He rejoices greatly in what? 
in the generosity of the Philippians, in Christ's sufficiency, his strength, and his supply. Verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Notice Paul here was rejoicing in the fourth financial gift that he received from the church of Philippian, uh, from the church of Philippi. They sent him financial gifts. They sent him four, and he's rejoicing in the fourth that he just received. And Paul here, he's not implying to the Philippians that, that they didn't care before. It was only that they lacked opportunity to where they couldn't send them more. It is only because they lacked opportunity. Notice, when they had opportunity, what does Paul say? Their care for Paul flourished. It flourished. And, and, and can we say that we bring this kind of joy to the people in your life by your willingness to give to others? It is more blessed to, what? Give than to receive. Paul exhorts the church of Ephesians in Acts 20, 35, notice he, he, he instructs the church of Ephesians to do this. Notice, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Notice who received the memo. Not the Ephesians. The church of Philippi received the memo of it is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 11 through 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12. I know how to be abased, abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer. Notice Paul had joy. He had joy either way. Because he learned what? He learned the secret of contentment. He learned to be content, so he had joy. Notice that word content in verse 11. This word means sufficient It means without external help. Sufficient, contained, without external help. And the point is that we are not sufficient in ourselves. We are not sufficient in ourselves because why? It is only Christ who is, who is all sufficient in every circumstance. And since what? And since he lives in us, then what? We are, we are sufficient in every circumstance only because he is sufficient. Therefore, Paul was content because he could see life from God's point of view. He saw life in the eyes of God. He was content. Paul was focused on what he was supposed to do instead of focusing on what he felt he should have or felt what he, des or what he had deserved. He, he deserved a lot for the things he did, but he was so focused on what Christ wanted him to do. Paul had his priorities straight. And what did he do? He gave thanks in all things, no matter the circumstances. And, you know, this is, this is when the desires of the world, the, the, the things of the world, they, they get in the way of a true joyful relationship with Jesus. The desires of the things of the world, they get in the way of, the, of this, this intimate relationship that Christ wants from you. Why? Because we will always desire more and more we will always desire bigger and better and we will never be able to fill that empty place and be content on our own. You'll never fill it, ever. Why do you think we have so many suicides? There is a hole, a hole that needs to be filled. There is a desire in our lives to be content. There is a desire to have contentment 
in our lives, a natural desire to be content. And you, you begin to search, and there's this, this void in us that, that needs to be filled, and so many people look in the wrong places. They look in all the wrong places, but if we look to Christ, if you look to the Lord to fill your every need, it's so simple. We will always be content. If you look to Christ, stop looking to this world Look to Christ and find contentment. What did Jesus say to the Samaritan woman that had that void in her life when he met her at the well? John uh, chapter 4, 13 through 14, he says, whoever drinks of this water, the water, he was speaking of the water from the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That void is filled by Christ. And notice in verse 12, Paul had to learn these things. He had to learn. He says, in all things I have learned. The word learned in the Greek means to learn by experience, to be instructed to be instructed. Therefore, in order for Paul to learn contentment, he had to go through many difficult circumstances. As we see, everything he endured, he had to go through all this. And then this is why we also need to go through difficulties in our lives. This is why we need to experience sometimes pain. That is how we learn. There's this, what is that saying? we learn from our mistakes. It's true. Paul, although you know, it doesn't seem like he made many mistakes, he still suffered. He experienced trials, but in that he learned. And this is what's known as God's providence, his providence in our lives. First, what does he do? He orders our steps. Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordained by the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. He orders our steps. Second, he works all things together for good. He ordains our steps and works it all together for good. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. God and those who are called according to his purpose. Are you called according to the purpose of God? Do you love God? If you are here today and you are called to his purpose and you love God, guess what? He's working all things out for your good. You see, there's so many truths in this life, so many truth that is right in front of us. You guys in front of each other, we see it. It's truth because we see it. But guess what? There is a greater truth that we cannot see. A greater truth than what this piano in front of me, I can see with my very own eyes, but there is a greater truth than that. And that is that God is working all things out for your good. There is a greater truth. You can't see it, but you can believe it. He orders our steps and he works them out for our good. Have you read the story of Joseph? Remember what happened with Joseph? What did he say? What did he say to his brothers in Genesis 50:20? What did he say? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but notice God meant it for good. You meant evil against me but God meant it for good. Does this world mean evil against us? Oh yeah. As Christians, this world means evil against you, but do you dare believe that God is using that for good? Yeah, we don't understand, but you're not supposed to. You see, we're never going to be able to understand God's infinite wisdom. 
God has infinite wisdom. We cannot understand it, but we can be content in it. You can find contentment and be honest with yourselves. Are you, are you content in every circumstance that you face? Are you content or are you worried? Are you showing contentment or are you worried this very moment? Are you experiencing something right now that you're worried about? Turn it into contentment. Turn it into joy. See what happens. Turn it into contentment. Do you believe that God is working all things out for your good? Do you believe that or do you think God's a liar? Do you think God's lying or do you believe it? Are you discontented because you don't have what you want or what you think you need? I know I need a Lamborghini. I know I need it. I know I need a nice car. That's what I think. Does God think that? No. And you see, these few scriptures, I'm, I'm really meditating on them because there is a huge lesson for us. I hope I don't run out of time, but there is so much for us here. And because, you know, Paul knew how to be content, whether, you know, he had, he had plenty or whether he had nothing. He knew how to be content. The secret to contentment that Paul discovered was to draw on Christ for strength. That was the secret of contentment, to draw on Christ for strength. And we need to learn to rely on God's promises and Christ's power to help us be content. You need to learn to rely on it. God will not fail you guys. I promise you that. And if he does, is it truly him failing you or are you failing yourself? You know? I pray and I ask God, and I, I, I you know, you, you as well, personally, ask God to remove the desires for more things. We have that desire that we want more. Remove that desire. Ask God to remove it and teach you to be content in every circumstance. Lord, pray tonight, Lord, remove my desire for all things, for more things. Teach me to be content. You know, because in the end, he will supply all your needs, but in the way he knows is best. That's what matters, is what God knows, because he is all-knowing. He knows the future. He knows the future of your life, and, and, and he's going to give you what is best for you, not what's going to damage you. Do you trust that God might never give you a lot of money? Because money is the root of all evil. It's very damaging. I experienced a little bit of that. Gosh, I ruined myself. So with that being said, Paul goes on to say, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me me. This verse is probably one of the greatest verses that is taken out of context. So many people take this verse out of context. Usually the message of this verse, oh, those prosperity preachers, how they love. Philippians 4.13. You can do anything you want because Christ will help you do it, right? You can do whatever you want because Christ, you just need to put your mind to it. That's not what this verse means. Notice, I can do all things through Christ. We can only do all things that God calls us to through Christ according to his will, according to his purpose, not ours. His will, his purpose, because apart from his will, you will fail. Apart from the will of God, you will fail. 
Therefore, in its correct context, Paul is saying we can be content in every situation because if Christ can empower empower us to do it, then he can enable us to do anything he calls you to do. Can, can you believe that maybe he can enable you to do something greater than Raul Reese? Do you think he can enable you to do something greater than Billy Graham? Can, do you believe that? Or do you, do you even believe that maybe he can enable you to do something greater behind the scenes without being noticed, without fame, Maybe he can. He definitely can. He can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you for his purpose, for his will. We can be content, guys. We can be content. God wants to accomplish so much. He wants to accomplish uh, a lot of things in this world and using you. He wants to use you to do that, but only through Christ. There is no other way, because why? Christ is worthy of the glory. Christ is worthy of all of the glory. Therefore, we cannot trust in our own strength, our own abilities. We must rely on Christ and his power, because I guarantee you, if he calls you, he will call you to do something impossible. I guarantee you. I guarantee it because it has to be impossible. It has to be. This is the only way his power will be made perfect and he is glorified. It will be impossible. But that's okay. Do you believe you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, notice in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. And personally, by the grace of God, I am here today by the sufficiency of his grace. The sufficiency. My grace is sufficient. I am here. You guys are here today because of the sufficiency of his grace. Verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, you have done well, that you shared in my distress. Notice, although Paul did not need the gift, he was grateful for it. It, was, it is always good and right to express gratitude to others. It is a show of gentleness. It is a show of joy whether you needed the gift, whether you needed help or not, it is always important to show that gratitude. Verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. Remember when I read earlier Acts 20, 35. The Philippians were the only church that gave Paul financial help. The, Philippi- the Ephesians, they forgot about Paul. They forgot about him, but the Philippians were the only ones who never forgot. And may we never forget to bless those who have been a blessing to us. Remember to always bless those who have been a blessing to us. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Notice Paul had already received three financial gifts from the Philippians. Two in Thessalonica and one in Corinth. Um, if you get a chance, read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. 
Even though they were poor, the Philippians had incredible generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. Two in Thessalonica, one in Corinth, and then he received a fourth one in, uh, when he was imprisoned in Rome. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Notice, yes, Paul was grateful for their gift, but what, he really, what really blessed him was knowing that God would reward them for their sacrifice and their generosity. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Matthew 6, 19 through 20, Jesus tells us, do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. And the Philippians knew this. So what? They remained faithful in their giving. Notice, uh, people usually express their joy through their giving. As Christians, when you give, that is a show of joy in your life. Uh, the joy in the Lord and this showed that they were joyful people because they were generous in their giving, although they did not have the money. They still gave. Let me ask you, when was the last time you gave to the Lord? When was the last time you gave? I'm not speaking of financial giving. I'm not speaking to this, about this church. It can be anything, a sacrificial giving. When was the last time you gave to the Lord? Verse 18, it says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Notice, just like in the Old Testament, sacrifice to the Lord, was ple uh, uh, it pleased God. And so did this sacrificial gift that the Philippians gave to Paul. It was pleasing. And notice the key word for a sweet-smelling aroma that the, of the sacrifice that pleases God is, is, is it's sacrifice. The key word to a sweet-smelling aroma is sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you anything, it is not a sacrifice. The giving, whatever you give, must cost you something. That is what it means to sacrifice a sacrificial gift. In order to be truly pleasing to God, it must cost you something. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive Him. Notice verse 19 what comes from a sacrificial giving. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Notice that word really quick, supply. It means to make full, to overflow, to abound. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 tells us, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Notice Malachi 3, uh, verse 10, God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Wow. Again, we cannot outgive God, but we must give faithfully. We must give out of willingness of our hearts, not expecting something in return. Don't give because God's going to bless you with more. It's not the reason to give. Give because you willingly. It has to mean something. It has to be a sacrifice in our hearts. Verse 20, not to our God and Father, uh, excuse me, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul truly in everything he did gave glory to God. Therefore, since we are to what follow his example, we should show that same concern for the glory of God. If we are to follow that example, Paul's concern was always for the glory of God. In closing, verse 21 through 23, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are, who are with me greet you. 
All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all. Amen. Whew, that was a long one. Guys, remember his grace is sufficient for you. Remember his grace is sufficient enough for you. Find your sufficiency in Christ. Find your contentment in Christ. And find your strength. Above all, find your joy, guys. Find your joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Remember in the beginning of this book, the title, the, the, uh, the theme of this book? Christ is the life of the saints. And the life of Christ is not possible without the life of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this incredible book. Lord, the, the book of Philippians, Lord, the, this epistle of joy. Lord, everything you've taught us, Lord, I thank you, Father, for the, the understanding, Lord. I thank you for the wisdom. Lord, I thank you f- just for the joy that you've given us, Lord. Lord, above all, may we be content in you, Lord. You alone are sufficient, Lord, because you are in us. We too are sufficient in all things, Lord. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your promises that all things will work out for the good, Lord, if you, uh, because we love you and because we are called according to your purpose. It does not matter the pain, the suffering, the, the evil that comes against us, Lord, you are working it out for good. We believe that here this very moment. And Lord, if there is anybody here tonight, Lord, that is struggling, Lord, in faith and in, in, in believing you and, and having a relationship with you and being content with you, Lord, may you just speak to their hearts. Lord, may you touch their hearts and may you just teach us, Lord, to be content to find our sufficiency, our joy, our strength in you. We ask this now, Lord, by the power of your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.